I'm Nicole Davidson, and this is the Negotiation in Real Life podcast, the show where we take the lessons learned in real life negotiations to help you build your negotiation toolkit. We'll be hearing from lawyers, entrepreneurs, and senior business people about their best and worst negotiations. Negotiation is one of the most important skills for success in business and in life, but it's a skill we are rarely taught. For many of us, we develop our skills purely through trial and error. We see what works, discard what doesn't, and if we're lucky, we'll have a few good mentors along the way. In this podcast, we're going to give you access to an even greater range of negotiation mentors. Enjoy this episode and please reach out if you have any questions. In this episode of Negotiation in Real Life, we talk with Alice Ruhr. Alice is a partner of SMB Advisory and is also a registered liquidator and a trustee in bankruptcy, having over 19 years of experience in the insolvency and corporate recovery industry. Alice is a Fellow of Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand, a member of the Australian Restructuring and Insolvency Turnaround Association, and she has experience in all forms of corporate and personal insolvency administrations. Alice believes that in most instances, early diagnosis and accurate prognosis can foster the best results. All too often, good businesses go by the wayside because the early signs of potential distress have been ignored or worse, have not been identified at all. Alice has had extensive experience dealing with external administrations involving the building and hospitality industries, information technology, accounting, legal and many other industries. Alice is a true believer in providing clear and relevant communication to stakeholders and acknowledges that more often than not, things are not always quite as they seem. In our conversation today, we talk about the benefits of getting closure through the mediation process, the challenges of dealing with a party who's responding to the actions of others and has limited information, how to negotiate around specific blockages that look like derailing the negotiation, and Alice provides us two key tips for preparing for a negotiation. Know what you don't know and understand the personalities. As well as all of that, we talk about the importance of authenticity in negotiations and the importance of a joint session in a mediation. Alice discusses why you need to be on the same page as your lawyers and gives some tips on how to negotiate with a bankruptcy trustee or liquidator. And there's a lot more as well. We hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Good afternoon, Alice, and welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon, Nicole. Lovely to be here. So I'm really excited to have you here because I think being in the insolvency industry, you're going to have lots of interesting negotiation stories to share. But before we get into some of those stories, perhaps you'd like to give a brief background about what you do and how you got into it um, for our listeners. Absolutely. Thanks, Nicole. Um, As you said, I'm a liquidator and a trustee in bankruptcy. I grew up in far north Queensland in a small town called Mariba with my mum and dad and I've got a brother and sister who are a bit older than I am. But we had to leave. I had to leave when I was 17 to come to Brisbane for uni because uh, in those days you could only do, I think, um, a diploma of teaching and marine biology in Cairns. So you either had to go to Townsville or to Brisbane uh, to go to uni. And my big brother was lived in Brisbane. So for me, at least there was a, um, a familial um, connection there. So I came to Brisbane when I was 17. I stayed on college at um, the University of Queensland at St John's College and um, did a Bachelor of Business uh, Management and a Bachelor of Commerce. 
whilst I was there. After that, and following a half hour lecture by no one may remember anymore, but Digby Ross, who was then the official receiver for Queensland uh, in a financial services lecture. That was as much as I got. He had a chat about insolvency and I thought that's what I want to do. So in 2001, I graduated and um, went straight in as a graduate in a small boutique insolvency firm, which was lucky because early 2000s, um, they were looking for insolvency graduates and not many people knew what that was. So it um, was a bit of a, um, a win-win, I think, at that time. I practised in Melbourne, uh, in Brisbane, sorry, for about eight years after that in insolvency um, and then moved to Melbourne in 2009 and again practised in insolvency there until 2018 we moved the family back to Brisbane. So my practice actually spans quite nicely Victoria and Queensland. Um, I do a bit in New South Wales and a bit in Western Australia as well and historically pre-COVID had um, split my time quite evenly between Melbourne and Brisbane. However, for obvious reasons, that hasn't happened in person as much anymore. But as you know, Nicole, we get to do these things virtually and that's been a bit of a godsend. It certainly has. <laughs> I was um, registered as trustee in bankruptcy in 2009 and a liquidator in 2013. So I've been doing that for quite some time now and I am a partner in SMB Advisory. We're a three-partner boutique practice and I'm really proud to be a partner of that practice. Great. Fantastic. What a really interesting story. And, and I think, as you said, there's not many people who go straight into insolvency. I actually went straight into insolvency. I just didn't hang around there for too long. So it's you were a one of the smart area, ones that yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, it, it's out of all the things that I've done, and I've done many, insolvency was one of the ones that was the most fun. So it's a great area. But speaking of that, you know, there are so many different types of negotiations that you have to do as a liquidator and a bankruptcy trustee. What's been one of the ones that stood out for you in terms of an experience where you've taken away a lot of learning? I totally agree. Um, the basis of the work that I do as well, Nicole, I do a lot of uh, creditor-based insolvencies, so creditor-based liquidations and bankruptcies, and a lot of the time that leads to recovery or pers pers pursuance, is that a word? Pursuing uh, insolvent yeah. transaction, and we end up in a lot of litigation and proceedings. So it's it's a, an area that I find myself in quite a lot. Uh, it's an area I like because generally that's, for better or worse, a mediation and negotiations is generally the first time we're able to get together and actually hash out what might be a result. Uh, it might not be a great result for everybody, but isn't that what they say about negotiation? It should be acceptable, but not no one should be running around. That's what I say. An outcome you can live with. That's it. I think that's right. So it generally for me, I feel like nine times out of 10, you get quite good closure at the mm. end of um, a negotiation or at a mediation. So we've been involved in a few. I've learned some lessons over the times, but there's been a few really interesting ones. I've, I can think of a matter in a bankruptcy where we actually had to negotiate very early in the bankruptcy. So as um, you know, I know you're aware, a lot of the time we do a lot of investigations, yeah. perhaps some public examinations, and then we issue some proceedings. And then on the back of those proceedings, we enter into a mediation. So we've been quite familiar, you know, with the matter and, and the relevant issues for some time. But this particular um, bankruptcy, which did actually go on for a very long time, but almost um, within the first months, of my appointment, we became aware of a property that was for sale and about to settle in the hands of the non-bankrupt spouse. 
that we thought correctly, there had been some funds that had flown into into that property. Um, So we were quite eager because that was probably one of the more significant assets in the bankruptcy or potential assets in the bankruptcy to really uh, secure that quite quickly in terms of the estate. So that was quite interesting. The property was in the ACT. Mm -hmm. The bankrupt and non-bankrupt spouse were in New South Wales and we were in Victoria. Okay. So first we had to have the injunction for the sale or for settlement mm-hmm. to not go ahead without without our sort of understanding of the situation or being accounted for, which, which we were able to have. And we had to enter into negotiations at that point as to what we were going to do to let the property settle. Mm-hmm. But as most... Um, most participants in mediations like to have global releases and I couldn't in any good conscience give global releases because we'd only just started and that specific matter I actually replaced another trustee so there was a lot of information that whilst we weren't on top of all of it we hadn't been given all of the information that we Mm. needed as we'd only just started our investigations we knew that there were risks there in terms of giving those releases and it was one of the first times I think we really broke it up and said, no, we will settle with you on this matter and this matter only. There were actually funds that flowed from that property into another property as well. And we even went so far as said, we're not releasing in terms of all the properties. Yeah. We'll release this property on this amount and then we go on from there. And look, that was um, a difficult sell because obviously they wanted to wrap everything up. some of the techniques that you needed to use to get that across the line? Because I'm sure they would have been pushing for that bigger release. Oh, absolutely. One of the major ones for me was, again, a lot of the time we're dealing with a non-bankrupt spouse and that's who is the other party in the negotiation or the mediation that we're dealing with. The issue with that is that a lot of the time that particular individual doesn't know or doesn't have a lot to do with the transaction that you're arguing against. They sort of sit there at the end of the day, but they're flanked by either, you know, the bankrupt or the representatives or whatever it is to allow them to sort of be fortified, even though we believe as the the trustee that we've got quite a good case and, um, you know, that we need to get that message across, if that makes sense. That was one of the first times as well that I was quite uh, strongly opposed to the bankrupt being in the party room in the joint party room for that exact reason because we'd only just got there we knew there were very strong personalities involved and we wanted to negotiate on those specific points there was money in the bank so that we did a bit of prep work as well in terms of the fact that we did allow settlement to go in go through and money to be paid to court yeah. so for mine it's a lot easier to argue over cash that's there as opposed to the potential for there to be cash or what there might be or what there might be. Well, that potentially was some sort of risk as well, that if you made this too difficult, the purchaser would go away and you may not end up with that sale at the same rate. Absolutely. And I don't want anybody to ever say that I stood in the Mm. way of a good deal. So that sort of prep work for us, we do often in these sorts of matters to try and get the sale across first. Let's do that and then let's argue about it afterwards. And I think that helped, the fact that there was dollars X in the bank account. I think that that was quite important because the bankrupt was actually a high net worth individual, if that makes sense. I know they were bankrupt, but they had a high income. Um, They'd had a lot of assets 
in associated entities and in their name, and that had been frozen. So this was one of the only assets that the family had to bring the money in. So I think that helped us a little bit as well. So not having the bankrupt in the party room so that the focus was duly on the non-bankrupt spouse so that they were aware of the importance of the situation and also having something tangible to actually have that fight about. I think those two things, together with a gun legal team, can I just say, I think that's a really important area and we can probably talk about that a little later as well. But those things, I think, really helped us to get to that desired result in that negotiation. Fantastic. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, knowing who to have in the negotiation and who to exclude is a really important thing. And, you know, sometimes in mediations, I'll play around with the people and shift them through the course of the negotiation as you see the dynamics moving. But recognising that influence that the bankrupt was potentially going to have on the spouse who had different interests was really good strategy. So you talked actually about the preparation that you do. And, you know, one of the things that I often tell people is that 80% of your success comes from the preparation that you do. You know, obviously you prepare your content, you know the facts and you've gone through all the documents and, and done all of that. Are there any other tips that you have or things that you've learned about how to prepare for the negotiations? Well, there's two things, I, I think. One is know what you don't know and know what you know so that you actually don't back yourself into a corner yeah. in certain situations. And that comes a lot from the prep. I think it's really important to understand where there could be weaknesses yeah. in, in, in your case so that you can either wiggle around them or have a good reason for why they're not concerning you yeah. for the purposes of the mediation. I also think that understanding the personalities involved is really Mm. important and adjusting how you react to that now I don't know whether that's a female thing I know that it is in in certain situations but understanding how you come across how I come across in the mediation I think depending on the people we're dealing with can be very important because there are certain characters that can get put off very quickly by a certain type of demeanor and there's others that sort of don't really care But if you can understand some of those non-tangibles and work around those to get your own way, then I think that's a really valuable uh, course to take. Um, I've been in mediations before where the other side actually had no idea that I was the party in the mediation. They would think that I was either the solicitor acting for the trustee or they would think that I was some other party floating around and there's some quite interesting things said before the joint party meeting. Um, So I think understanding who you're talking to, who they are, what they look like, those sorts of first impressions are quite important um, in dealing with mediations. Um, And also I've been in mediations where practitioners that I thought I knew on the other (laughs) side had quite an interesting demeanour and could get quite aggressive. And it was very interesting to see a different side of somebody. And I think that goes to, uh, I'm I'm very big on authenticity. Um, And so I think the sort of disingenuous nature of where your friend when we're on your side, but we're not when we're not, um, is a really interesting tact to take. And I know that that's happened in a few times where we've then decided not to use particular council going forward because of those sorts of um, examples, if that makes sense. It's a really interesting thing that you raise. It's that idea that people will come in and, you know, someone who, as you said, has normally got quite a good demeanour comes in all aggressive and you go, is that because that's what their client is expecting? Are they trying to impress the client? 
surely if they know you, they would realise that that's not the way to get a good outcome from you because they've worked with you before. So it, it does make me wonder what goes on in people's minds sometimes when they change like that. No, I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, I'm a big fan of, you know, slightly more collaborative conversations in the, you know, I don't know that aggression um, gets you too far. You know, insolvency traditionally is very male, very aggressive. What are your perceptions on that? Oh, I totally agree. Look, my dad once said to me, well, not once, he said to me many times, actually, you know better than anybody else, but you know worse than anybody else. So don't act either way. So you come to the table and you be you, you're allowed to be at the table, but do something with it while you're there like because you're you're there for a reason and I think that that's really important you can come and you can talk your piece and you can stand very firm um but you don't need to be aggressive about it and I think there's a level of respect that comes with standing firm if you need to walk away there's other tactics that can be played but I think for mine I actually think aggressive nature in mediations is a sign of weakness if that's the last thing you've got to go to then why are we here and I just, I look, there's a lot of personalities involved. Legal proceedings, as you know more than most, are very personal things. They're things that, you know, liquidators and trustees, we do deal with all the time, but rest assured, it is still our name on the case. We're not the lawyers acting for yeah. the liquidators or the trustee. It's, it's still us who actually are sitting there holding the baby at the end of the day. And then you take that one step further and you look at, who might be on the other side. And nine times out of 10, they haven't been there before. And so, you know, I understand that there's a level of anxiety and a level of wanting to defend Mm. yourself. And that can sometimes come across in an aggressive way. But I do think that it can be a sign of weakness. Well, and I think Um, think what you bring up there is the difference too, because yes for the for the actual person on the other side the defendant that's really you know they're often in a place of fear you know you think about the wife that you talked about before she's at risk of losing this property she's she's at risk of having nothing and yet where you see the aggression is often not from those parties but it's their lawyers and and that's where you go okay you can understand it coming out as a natural consequence of people acting in fear but for a lawyer to come in and, and bring that aggression into the room is it is generally I think a choice mm, I agree and generally it's a tool in their tool bag mm. but you've got to wonder at what time you actually bring out yeah. that specific tactic yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and whether it's just a default for some people oh look I think it can be I think there's a number of layers that you can go through in a mediation mm. or in a, in a negotiation and financial elements are only one yeah. of them and I think sort of you know sometimes when a back's against a wall you think okay well what else is there and if it's you know if there's not much there then they say you know well, what happens when your back's against the wall but sometimes the um tactic can be to pivot on that yeah. and to see well is there something that's actually important that we can bring to the table that doesn't have a dollar sign yeah. in front of you it? mentioned earlier the role of lawyers in the mediation and i'm interested from your perspective what have you seen particularly for lawyers acting for you what have you seen them do that's been helpful in the mediation versus what have you seen them do that maybe has actually got in the way? Yeah, that's a really interesting one. I think, firstly, the helpful part of it is still going through every element and every step mm. and understanding why we do what we do. So I'm not sure if I mentioned this earlier, but 
I was never a fan of a joint session. I can't stand a joint session. I still can't stand a joint session. For mine, by the time you get to a mediation, you've ventilated the issues that many times. Everybody knows where you're coming from. You know, everyone's got a sob story, you know, us included. It's everybody with, you know, what sword are we going to die on? And we get there and we spend three hours in a room rehashing it. I can't, like for me, as the practical accountant that I am, can't understand the value but having you know your legal counsel actually sit there and this has happened recently to say no no do you realize this is sometimes the first time that for example the non-bankrupt spouse has heard any of this you know sometimes there's been a protection against it um also you know do you realize that the way that you sit in that joint mediation says a lot about you whether or not you're approachable whether or not you're comfortable in your um your stance whether or not you're respectful and listen to the mediator whether or not you're happy to smile the other side even though they're grimacing at you like all of those things are really important and if you miss the joint session which I wish we could sometimes yeah. <laughs> if you miss the joint session there are many opportunities for connection um for storytelling and for like the foundation to be laid in terms of the the good work to be done yeah. later as opposed to just going well you made the last offer this is where we're standing can we just not come to an agreement which would be more of my well it's, it's interesting isn't it because that style of negotiation that you've talked about there could be done by email really you, know, you mm. could do that any old way and and it's one of the challenges as a mediator as well as managing people's expectations around time because time is critical, but the mediation just is a longer process. You know, it's still not, a, it's, it's not as long as going to court. Um, you'll still get your result in a day or, you know, generally or half a day sometimes, but you've got to go through the process because every process has a purpose. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree. And so I think that's been really interesting. I as a liquidator and a trustee, you do have a bank and a panel of solicitors and barristers that you have worked with for some time and you really value. Mm. And I think that a, a lot of look, a lot of worth has to be placed on that. For the work that I do, look, nine times out of 10, I'll be honest with you, nine times out of 10, the work that I do, I'm doing on spec and my lawyers are doing on spec. And a lot of the time, my barristers are doing mm. on spec. So you've got to have a pretty good, you know, uh, briefing note and a pretty good case and something at the end to go for. And we're all there basically trying to, to, to get a win at the end of the day, whatever that looks yeah. like, um, but some sort of result at the end of the day. You need to understand that you and your legal counsel are on the same page mm. because I've seen it before. Luckily, I've not been party to it, but I've seen it before where the liquidator is not particularly happy to settle at a certain amount, but their legal counsel is because of the um, amount of whip that they've yeah. got on the clock. And, and that causes some issues because, I mean, as much as I am, or I'd like to think that, you know, as an insolvency practitioner, I'm incredibly commercial. Yeah. I'm very happy to, to be commercial in sort of negotiations and mediations. I still need to front up my reasons to creditors. And so if somebody comes with a ridiculous offer, for a, very, a case that we've been told has got good prospects, even though it might get us out in terms of whip, that's not a justifiable yeah. reason to accept yep. that. So you need to be really connected, I guess, with your legal counsel. I've had a matter recently where it was partway through. For one reason or another, I had to take over the matter from another trustee. There was a legal team that were there. They were on spec. And the lawyers I dealt with before, not very much, but I had dealt with before, they had started to brief counsel, um, but there hadn't been a lot of work done. And I actually made a point of changing 
because the, it was a very complex matter. Um, there were a lot of moving parts. Um, I'd come in only partway through, and you know how hard that yeah. is on any file in terms of a lot of the substantive affidavit material and stuff. You know, I'd, I'd seen it um, quite late in the piece, and we'd gone from there, and I had to make a decision then to say, I'm sorry, but I'm actually bringing someone else mm. in as my my barrister on this matter yeah. uh, and he did it for me um, on spec for that mediation we got a result after 11 hours oh. by zoom mediation oh dear. Um, it was uh, an interesting one um, right at the start sort of of the of the COVID yeah. mix um, but that's a that's a decision that I don't regret yeah. for one second it was it was a little bit difficult to make because you never like to say to somebody I'm sorry but not my first choice and if it was a simpler matter I probably would have let it slide but you need to have somebody in that room that you know has got you back yeah, absolutely now we've talked a lot about negotiations in the context of litigation and mediation a lot of your negotiations would be outside of that and just negotiating directly with creditors mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you've learned that help you with those because I you know once again my understanding of this and my experience of this is that you've automatically got people who are perhaps going to be on the defensive because you're the trustee or because you're the liquidator mm -hmm. and are going to want to withhold information and make life a bit difficult. How do you manage that? That is correct. And it's it's not an easy thing to manage when you, um, you know, no one trusts you from the mm -hmm. outset. And, you know, I understand that. I understand that, you know, people can can get on the back foot you know, when a liquidator or a trustee is appointed and think that we're the enemy, I get that. The issue that we've got is that we still have a job to do. And the way that we can do it, the, to the best of our ability, is to work with the other side as, as much as we can. So I had a matter last year. It was a bankruptcy matter. There was a property involved. Um, we were looking to annul the estate. However, we had an issue in terms of the bankrupt's family thought that they could raise the funds to annul it, which was fine. So we worked with them through that process. But the more we have to do, the more money we have on the clock. The more our process is obstructed, you know, the more time we need to spend on things. And so it's in our interests and the other side's interest to try and, I don't know, have a smooth process yeah. um, to try and realise, you know, when we know that there's assets there to be able to pay out a bankruptcy, um, to do it quickly, to do it respectfully, and um, to sort of get to a result that can assist everybody. We suspected early on in the piece that there probably wasn't cash flow mm -hmm. that was able to come in. So there was a, a house there that had significant equity um, that would have been able to pay out the estate quite quickly and easily. Um, but that's a hard thing. I get that. You know, the bankrupt wasn't young. They don't want to move house. That's totally understandable. But at one stage or another, you've got to be a little bit honest with the other side yeah. to try and figure out, well, I don't think that money's coming. We now need to do this, yeah. you know, and, and and we're sort of butting heads every, every step of the way. But, you know, we were honest. We were respectful. We documented everything. Mm -hmm. Um, we let them try and go through that process in so far that it wasn't going to impact the creditors of the estate. Yep. So we didn't do any other work on that, that matter during that time because we knew we had a house. We had secured our interest in that house. So there was not going to, and there was ample mm. equity in that property to pay out the estate. So we had no interest in doing anything else in the bankruptcy um, because creditors were looked yep. after. So we really allowed that to happen. But 
as counterintuitive as I think it sometimes feels, those honest discussions, and sometimes they've got to come from you. Like I have to pick up the phone and that's fine. But, you know, everyone knows how professional services firms work. There's normally a senior manager, a director and a graduate, and you try and even out who does what, especially from a cost perspective. But there are times when you've got to pick up the phone and say, all right, the buck ends with me. What are we doing? because this is how it works and really explain. So that's showing respect to the process. That's sort of understanding, um, okay, it's you and me here. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna do this? This is what this will cost. This is what this will cost. Is this acceptable to everybody? And sometimes in those situations, again, those non-financial elements like respect, you know, like when can I get out of my bankruptcy? You know, can I have another little while to stay in the house? so that I can, you know, get a bond to go and move somewhere else, they're important. And, you know, if you can take those into account and the human aspect, I think, um, I, I think that's really important. And sometimes one call from somebody who, you know, it, it can be not the easiest call to make, but that can actually buy you a lot of time and a lot of credit and a lot of goodwill. Yeah in terms of future negotiations. I agree. I think that's fantastic. And, you know, one of the things that I'm always looking for, you know, I hear these stories about people who've been through disputes and litigation and they may have got to a mediated outcome or they may have ended up going to trial, but 20, 30 years down the track, they are still bitter about the process. What I love about what you've just said is you're going through a process where they're not going to like the outcome, but I think because you've gone through a really good process with them and you've shown that respect and you've, you've involved them in the process, they can at least walk away from that and put it behind them and start to move on. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, is so important for anybody with disputes. I, I just think it's really sad if somebody has to carry that with them because of the way that it was handled. So I think that's wonderful that you're doing that. Thank you. I think a big part of it from our perspective is that we have quite stringent guidelines in terms of the Bankruptcy Act and the Corporations Act. And whilst, you know, the other side might think that we're being vindictive Mm. or personal or whatever it is about it, and this happens a lot in the bankruptcy and family law law sphere, we're we're there a lot, Um, you know, and there's obviously a lot of issues around trust and wanting to sort of have some level of payback sometimes and these sorts of things in those scenarios. But when it's like, I have a job to do You know, this is what I have to do. I don't have any emotion, you know, against you in this matter, but we're going to have to do it one way or another this way. Yeah. So, you know, you know, it's not, that's how it is. And I think once people sort of can stomach that, yeah. um, I'm lucky in that perspective that in my kind of dispute, I've got sort of that to fall back on as being, that's my job. That's what I have to do. You know, I don't, I don't have a lot of flexibility in that. And you look at it in a corporate sphere, I actually have to go and get creditors approval if I'm going to compromise debts over a certain amount or if they're going to go out for a certain period and you know again when they realize that it's like well it's I'll do a deal with you that's fine but it's got to be subject to you know the creditors approving it they sort of understand sometimes not always but sometimes a little bit more okay well it's not just you having a bit of a bad day (laughs) and trying to figure out you know what the most you can get it's that there's actually a process fantastic well Alice, I'm really intrigued now. I'm going to ask you one last question, which is if you could take yourself back to being your junior insolvency practitioner, what's the one thing you wish you'd learned about negotiation earlier? Leave the ego at the door and everybody feels the same way about it when you get in the room. If I could tell you one more story, for it. and probably one I Go should have brought it. up, um, but quite early in my career, 
uh, I got involved in a complex commercial bankruptcy family law dispute. So there were four, five different parties uh -huh. in terms of this mediation and, and this negotiation. The only issue is we only had one house and it only had $400,000 equity in it. If it had a couple of extra zeros, then by all means. But we it got moved to the family court. <clears throat> we had uh, two lots of bankruptcy trustees, a non-bankrupt ex-spouse, a liquidator, and um, I think a secured creditor. So that's five. Fighting over 400. Oh, and um, again, I was quite junior at that point in time. And sort of just seeing how everybody reacted was very interesting to me because it's not all that usual mm. to have more than one or maybe two sets of insolvency practitioners in, a, in that sort of pressure cooker situation. You know, it happens, but not to that mm. extent at that point in time because we had some non-insolvency parties and then some uh, IPs and just to see how everybody dealt with each other. So understand what you're arguing about was the first yeah. thing because, you know, the first thing I walked in was like, can we just not split it for <laughs> Like, what are we getting out of it? It just makes no sense. Um, leave the ego at the door and look at what's important yeah. and then actually understanding the power dynamic or almost lack thereof it because you tend to go into these things thinking that somebody might know something more than you do or they've been practicing for a lot longer than you have or they there's some magic you know uh, bubble that they're aware of that you don't and it's just not the case yeah. you do the prep you do the work and it's amazing what can happen at the end of the day fantastic advice I think that's really good so look it has been a pleasure speaking with you Alice thank you so much for sharing your experiences and being so generous with those stories and with your time um, if people wanted to reach out or if, ne if they needed some advice about some financial distress, um, how can they contact you? Of course. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm um, LinkedIn is probably the easiest um, way to find me, Alice Brew, R-U-H-E, and reach out. And our website, smbadvisory.com.au. So you can get me either way there. Feel free. Anyone can reach out. I'm always happy to have an upfront chat. We're pretty good at finding things. So, you know, whether that's in a insolvency situation, that might be in a family law situation or some other situation where no one can really understand where all the money's gone or what's happened, that's our bread and butter. And we're pretty good at sitting down and, and finding out what questions we need to ask generally in those mediation situations. Right, and asking the right questions is key. So it has been an absolute delight. I'll put your contact details in the show notes. And thanks again for being with us today, Alice. Thanks, Nicole. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Negotiation in Real Life podcast. If you've taken away some great tips from this episode, I'd love to hear about it. So please connect with me via my website or LinkedIn. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to learn more tips to improve your negotiations, head to our website, nicoledavidsonnegotiation.com.au, where you can follow my blog, watch presentations and download resource sheets. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you get every episode as it comes out. If you have an interesting negotiation story that you'd like to share with my audience, head to the website and complete a guest application. Until the next episode, happy negotiating. Thank you.